Into Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. This is the Anti Hot Take Sports Show. And of course, you have to follow me on Twitter at Josh Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, clockersports.com, email address, clockersports at gmail.com. And uh, you know what we do here, man. A lot of stuff going on around the NFL today. Cut down day officially happened. So we're recording this on Tuesday, just so everybody knows. Um, cut down day around the NFL. And you know how I get down, man. I'm going to deep dive into the Bears and stuff as, as the year goes on because they did some wild, wild stuff today and over this entire summer. But because I don't want to always drag it down, I brought in a, a very special guest, a friend of mine to to help us talk about another team that's, that seems to be doing things the right way. So um, without further ado, allow me to welcome back to the show uh, J.J. Stankovitz, formerly of NBC Sports Chicago, now writer for Colts.com, covering obviously the Indianapolis Colts. J.J., welcome back, man. What's up, Josh? It is good to see a familiar face here and someone who I've spent a lot of time talking football with, but that was about the Bears. Now we we got to talk about the Colts here because they are my employer. They are the team that I now cover, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to talk football with you here. Now, real quick, just talk about the transition going from, from the speed of the city to Indianapolis. You know, it's a, it's a ways away, but it was kind of like a homecoming for you, no? Yeah, you know, my, my wife is from here. Her whole family's here. Um, they're all huge Colts fans. So, uh, you know, it made a lot of sense when uh, I did lose my job at NBC Sports Chicago to, you know, make this move down here to Indianapolis. It's we're in beautiful Carmel, Indiana right now out here in the burbs, living the suburban life. It is a lot slower. Certainly there's a lot. Look, there's a lot I miss about Chicago, um, all the restaurants, all the, the, the things to do, the lakefront. Uh, I'm going to miss it dearly forever. But Right now, I love it here. I love working for the Colts, and it's uh, it's a really nice little transition. Speaking of transition, now you are the father to twins. Talk to me about how that was having to get everything settled with not just you and your wife, but also with the babies. I tell you what, man, it was <laughs> not easy to move. You know, even though we're moving 180 miles down I-65 to bring along those two kids, <laughs> figure out logistically what to do with them. Uh, you know, very, uh, very challenging, <clears throat> certainly, but they're settling in great here. Uh, you know, it's funny, Josh, they just started daycare. Um, and in the first month that they were in daycare, they've got like RSV and a stomach bug and oh. hand foot. And they're just like, they're catching everything. Cause they, they're COVID kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like they weren't really exposed before this year. So we're just, you know, dealing with kids who've got runny noses, but fortunately that's it. And uh, otherwise they're loving life down here. I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, that's not going to change as they get older. Yeah. <laughs> they go on to school. They, every year, my no. kids bring back something on the first week. So it just, it just happens. So, um, yeah. but I, I feel your pain. Now, that's enough about that. Let's talk about football because, as you mentioned, it's a very exciting season coming up here for the Indianapolis Colts. And the first question I have to start off with Carson Wentz. Tell me what, what your impression of him is and what your expectations are for him this coming season. So obviously right now as we're, we're recording this, Carson Wentz is on the COVID-19 reserve list. Um, but what I've seen out of Carson Wentz, it's only been five practices in camp, but dude looks good. And you, you can just see all those traits 
that we've known Carson Wentz has had, the, the athleticism, the rocket arm, the ability to make plays kind of off schedule. Um, those are all things that are very evident with Carson Wentz. What's been so impressive to me is how he has emerged as a leader so quickly on this team. You know, he when the trade was agreed to back in February, he was out in California working with Michael Pittman Jr. and Desmond Patman, already getting some timing down on those routes. He, you know, comes to OTAs and you could just feel his presence in a way that, you know, look, he left Philadelphia with some criticism about that aspect of his game. None of what we heard or saw from the moment Carson arrived in Indianapolis to right now has really changed any of that. He is a leader on this team. He is someone who has instantly gained the respect of his teammates. And then you tag in all those traits with Frank Reich, a coach who knows him very well, who worked with him, obviously, in Philadelphia in 2016 and 2017. There's a lot to like about what this offense can look like with Carson Wentz under center. How much of that do you attribute to having Frank Reich, or is it just a fresh start in general? Because um, it seemed like a match made in heaven when it was all being discussed in the first place. And so then when it went down, it just seemed like, a, you know, like I said, a natural fit, and like this is kind of how it should be going. How much mm-hmm. of that is on Frank Reich, and how much of that is just a new situation for Wentz? Yeah, Josh, I'd say it's probably a little column A, a little column B. Um, you know, Carson probably needed a fresh start. You know, Frank Reich said earlier in the series, like, you know, humble pie doesn't taste good, but sometimes it's good for you. Getting out of Philadelphia, maybe not the worst thing for Carson Wentz. But that being said, the situation he walks into here in Indianapolis is about as good of one as you will find, you know, with a coach who knows him well, who knows he's got that built-in trust and knows how Carson learns and processes and sees things, you know, both on and off the field. That's really important. Then on top of that, the weapons in this offense and the offensive line are pretty good. I know the Colts don't have, you know, maybe T.Y. Hilton, Jonathan Taylor are kind of big names, but they don't have that, you know, that guy who everyone's like, I'm taking that guy in the first round in fantasy football, although you might want to take Jonathan Taylor. Uh, <laughs> and they, they don't have that guy. But what they have is a plethora of weapons in every single group, every single position group on this offense that can go out and make plays, you know, and, and Frank Reich's the guy who's going to ride the hot hand. So one week, you might see Naheem Hines having a huge game and being like, whoa, man, Naheem Hines went off. Next week, that guy's Zach Paschal. Week after that, it's Michael Pittman Jr. Week after that, it's Kylan Granson, the rookie tight end. Jonathan Taylor kind of maybe a steady guy in, middle, in the middle of all that. And then the offensive line, you know, once Eric Fisher is back, you're going left to right. Eric Fisher, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Mark Lewinsky, Braden Smith. That is a really good offensive line. That might be one of the best in the NFL. I wouldn't know so nothing about that. Wouldn't yeah, know anything about Carson, it. <laughs> Carson took 50 sacks last year. Now all of a sudden has a stable offensive line in front of him. And that hopefully will then allow him to go make some plays and be a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, as he goes about things this year. Now you, like you just mentioned the offensive line. Talk to me about how Anthony Casanzo's retirement having to go out and get Eric Fisher, that kind of transition, because that was before one of the best units. And so Fisher, even though he's had a good career, he's got some pretty lofty shoes to step into. What's that transition been like for him? Yeah, no doubt. It's a really good point, Josh, because look, Anthony Costanzo was one of the most dependable, reliable, and talented offensive linemen in the NFL during his 10-year career. And that guy's not easy to replace. We've heard it all, all the time from Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and everyone that look, let's not forget we're replacing Anthony Costanzo here. <laughs> but you go out and get a guy like in Eric, in Eric Fisher, who last year with Kansas City had his highest pro football focus grade. He made the Pro Bowl second time in his career. 
And he said back when the Colts signed him that he felt like he was playing the best football of his career last year. Then, of course, the Achilles injury happens in the AFC Championship. The Chiefs need to move on and kind of find some different solutions because you can't have Patrick Mahomes running for his life in the Super Bowl again. So they go out and they release him. As the Colts went about it, you know, it, it felt like a slow play. And some people here in Indianapolis were a little bit frustrated as the Colts didn't go out and make a splash move early in free agency. They went out and signed Sam Tevy and Julian Davenport. Davenport, by the way, probably will start at left tackle when the season begins if Fisher is not ready for week one. And then the draft, everyone's thinking, all right, mm-hmm. got two, two picks in the first 55. One of those is probably going to go to an offensive tackle. But the thing with the Colts that everyone needs to understand, and, and I think a lot of people here in Indianapolis have come around to, is that Braden Smith is locked in at right tackle. That is where Braden Smith is going to play. He is one of the best right tackles in the NFL. The the Colts rewarded him as such right at the start of training camp. So because of that, some of these tackles that were in the draft profile better as right tackles, not left tackles. So, you know, the Colts had a couple opportunities maybe to go get one of those guys. But ultimately, if you're not viewing the guy you're going to get in the first two rounds as the left tackle, not only of 2021, but for the next five, 10 years, then going to get him, Chris Ballard said it, you know, he could win praise for going out and making a trade to go get a left tackle. But if that guy doesn't pan out, Ballard's the first one who's going to take heat for it. So the Colts went about this very methodically. And then the, the plan, you know, after, okay, these guys were off our board. We liked them. We didn't want to take them, whatever it was after the draft. Then it was, let's go sign Eric Fisher. Chris Ballard and Eric Fisher have a history dating back to their time in Kansas City. Maybe that made it a little bit easier to get him in as he's dealing with this injury. And then, again, we'll see how long Fisher needs before he is ready for the start of the season. But, you know, Frank Reich said it on Sunday, the Achilles rehab is going very well. Uh, You know, looks like he's tracking pretty well. The problem right now is that Eric Fisher is on the COVID-19 reserve list. So, again, we'll see when he gets activated and when he can get ready to go, hopefully sooner rather than later. I've often talked about how their investments along the offensive line paid off immediately, but as they keep at the ability to replace somebody and not have it be that dramatic of a drop-off, even if it wasn't Eric Fisher, I feel like you would still see some, some high-quality play there it is a testament to how well they've drafted. And you talk about their approach, and it sounds to me like it's just nothing fancy. It's very methodical, and it's very deliberate, and they're not going to go outside of their way to to – kind of solve any particular problem as much as they are just looking for best talent, but also a fit too. It has to fit as well, but they're, they're, it's very simplistic and not, not doing too much. If I'm, if I could simplify what I'm saying. You, you read that completely accurately, Josh, that the Colts have a plan for how they're going to build this roster and how they have built this roster and deviating from it is not something the Colts are very interested in because, you know, look, look, you've got this long-term vision when Chris Ballard stepped in in 2017 then hired Frank Reich in 2018. The long-term vision was to build a Super Bowl contender for multiple years, which I think is every team, you know, you want to do that. But the Colts' vision to build through the draft, I mean, these draft picks, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy how much talent the Colts have on this roster acquired through the draft. And, you know, you look at, like, every position on offense has that guy who's been drafted recently. By Chris Ballard, you know, you look at some of the guys who are, uh, you know, Ryan Grigson holdovers, Ryan Kelly, very good player, T.Y. Hilton, very good player. Jack Doyle was a draft and development guy Jack under Doyle. Ryan Grigson. 
Fan favorite Jack but, Doyle. <laughs> you know it. Uh, but then the guys who Ballard was drafted, you got Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, you know, he was, you know, they, they kept Zach Paschal in 2018, and Paschal's a very useful player. Uh, Paris Campbell looks like he's going to be poised to have a big year. Mike Strawn, guy who you're going to want to get to know that dude's name. He is a big-bodied receiver who can go up and moss dudes like it's no one's business. Kylan Granson's going to play a big impact this year. Mo Alley Cox was an undrafted free agent find. Quentin Nelson's the best guard in the NFL right now. May go down as the best guard in NFL history. Braden Smith was a second-round pick. Right after Braden Smith, the Colts took Darius Leonard, or it was flipped one way or the other. Best One of the best linebackers in the NFL. On the, off, on the defensive line, you got Grover Stewart, one of the most underrated three-techs in the NFL. Quiddy Pay on the edge. you got guys like Kamoko Turi and Ben Badigou are putting things together right now. I, the, the back end, Kari Willis, Julian Blackman. Mm-hmm. It's insane how much talent is on this team that has come through the draft. It really is. And it's just, it's a testament to the the front office, Chris Ballard, all the scouts, and then the coaching staff for developing these guys. We're going to talk about the defense in a second, especially Leonard and Willis and Blackman, because you wrote about those two um, a, a couple of days ago. I want to talk about them. Stick it to the offense real quick, though. Talk to me about Pittman because I, I was a big fan of his father, so I've been a fan of his since I've mm-hmm. caught on to him at USC. And you just mentioned uh, Mike Str- Strawn, right? Yeah, Strawn, thank, yep. Thank you for saying that because I had no idea how to pronounce that name. I've been looking at that yep. for a few weeks now. Um, is he going to push Pittman? Because I want to see Pittman you know, take off, but it seems like he just keeps kind of falling into the mix of guys. Pittman, I, Pittman looks like he's poised to take the next step. You know, We've been seeing signs of that for a little while now here. Um, you know, what that looks like, I think, you know, sometimes you can tag numbers to a guy and say, that guy looks like a thousand yard receiver. The thing with Frank Reich's offense is that it is a spread it around offense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Michael Pittman's going to go out and be a thousand yard receiver. He has the talent to be, but the Colts also have a lot of other talent on this offense who Frank Reich wants to get the ball to create some mismatches with Strawn. He's a guy, he's not going to push Pittman, Mm -hmm. but he can be a useful guy, especially down in the red zone with that six foot five, 225 pound frame. And he's just got these like natural instincts to the position that not every receiver has mm. not every receiver who's six, five, two and can run a four five knows has and not every receiver with those traits has the feel that Mike Strawn has and the ability to, to just naturally time it. So you can go up and high point a ball. You know, it's one thing to be a big dude. It's another thing to use that, that size to your advantage. And Mike Strong's a guy who can use that size to his advantage. You touched on it briefly. What's the latest on T.Y. Hilton? So T.Y. Hilton uh, is being evaluated for a neck injury. Uh, it looks like it's a disc thing, according to Frank Reich, and he will miss some time. We don't know how much how much time he'll miss, but Frank Reich said he's optimistic it's not season-ending. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see T.Y. back out there. The thing with T.Y., man, he's 640 yards away from getting 10,000 in his career which is an incredible achievement on its own. If that happens, the Colts will become the only team in NFL history to have three players have 10,000 or more yards receiving with that team. The other two obviously being Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. That's insane for T.Y., especially because he was not supposed to be anywhere near that kind of guy. I know they thought he'd be a dynamic player, but just that consistency that he had uh, for a while. He's been injured a few years, the past few years. Um, so hopefully, he, like he said, comes back healthy from this neck injury. Absolutely. Speaking of ghosts, because that's T.Y.'s nickname, I'm going to try to move into a little bit more light here okay. while, we're, uh, while we're chatting, because it's getting a little dark here out in, uh, out in suburbia. <laughs> I, my, the 
thing about moving is I lost my office. So I, uh, I'm trying to find like good places to do these zoom calls, man. And uh, still experimenting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. That'll work. Yeah. Good. So let's talk about the defense. Now, uh, Darius Leonard got that monster extension in the off season. Uh, he dropped a lot of weight last year to try to play faster and it paid off. He was, he looked like a man on, with his hair on fire on the field. What are the expectations for him now that he's gotten paid? Is there another level he can even go to? I don't see why not. I mean, he talked about it after he got that extension that this is not going to change how he works, how he prepares, how he does anything. And man, he's just like, I don't think I can accurately express Josh, how much energy that dude brings. Like the level of juice that Darius Leonard has is incredible. And I, I was watching one practice. It was the first practice he was back. And he's dancing and yelling and screaming and high-fiving and waving to everyone. And I turned to Stephen Holder from The Athletic, and I was just like, is he always like this? And Holder cut me off. And he's like, yeah, every day. And I was like, I mean, it's incredible. And you see, you know, if you watch highlights of him and you watch highlights of the Colts defense, he's always in the mix, you know, dapping guys up, giving them high-fives, doing whatever it is, dancing on the field. He was firing up the crowd in a preseason game, which I thought I was saw that. funny. <laughs> uh, you know, th- there is not – there is no ceiling on Darius Leonard. The thing about the Colts linebackers, though, is like Bobby Okariki, mm-hmm. who's going to play the mic next to Darius Leonard replacing Anthony Walker. Bobby Okariki was probably the best defensive player in training camp. I think wow. we counted he had four interceptions. His coverage skills are just off the charts. And it looks like he's a really ascending player as he enters year three. Uh, you know, and you got him and Darius playing next to each other while you're in nickel quite a bit with Kenny Moore guarding the slot, who's the best slot defender in the NFL. Yeah, he's a beast. Uh, Teams are going to have a hard time throwing across the middle against this Colts defense. What about the pass rush? Because that seems to be a perennial question mark for this team. Like, they seem to get, they do do enough, but what can they do to get a little bit more impact out of that pass rush? So, it's going to take probably more of a collective effort. Uh, You know, look, the the Colts added some really, really intriguing players, starting with Quiddy Pay with their first-round pick. But the Colts still are replacing Danico Autry and Justin Houston, who combined for, I think it was 17 and a half, 18 sacks, mm-hmm. something like that last year. It was a 16, some, somewhere in that range, the, the mid to high teens. And that's not going to be easy to replace. You know, Quiddy Pay is still a rookie. Uh, and, you know, they go out and sign, you know, a guy like Isaac Rochelle, uh, who played with the Chargers for a number of years. You know, your Notre Dame fans might remember him from some teams earlier the uh, last decade. Um, it's, it's going to be a collective, but I'll tell you this one thing, that Ben Banigou and Kamoko Ture, two second-round picks in 2018, 2019, they both had really good camps, and those are two guys who had not performed up to the standards that the Colts hoped they would over the last two years for some various reasons. Now they look like they're ready to take off. And if they, the Colts can get someone out of Banigou and Ture with an ascending guy like Taekwon Lewis um, and then, you know, Quiddy Pay as a, a rookie who looks really good and is picking things up really fast, you can probably game it to overcome those losses. And then on top of that, DeForest Buckner is a stud. <laughs> awesome. And Grover Stewart, I'm doing a feature story on Grover Stewart here in the next week or so. He's a guy who not a lot of people know his name, but he told me, he's like, my goal this year is to make the pro bowl. Cause a lot of people don't know me, but they're going to get to know me this year. And he looks like a bully inside playing, uh, you know, playing the nose for the Colts during training camp. He had one of the best training camps as well of anyone out there up at Grand Park in Westfield. Now you mentioned it with Stewart and he said it that no one really knows him. 
that's kind of the name, the, the story for this entire defense. How do you get a defense of guys that parts? Because the, the, the linemen you were naming, I'm not all overly familiar with. I know of them, uh-huh. but, you know, right. just not sure. This defense last year, that's why I was looking up at my phone here. Uh, they were second against the run. They were uh, tw- they were 20th in yards, but they were 12th in touchdowns. And, like, just how did, how do you get this, these players to play so well like that? Is that all Eberflus, or is this just guys buying into the overall system of a team? So it's it starts with Eberflus and the the defense that he has had here in Indianapolis. Now we're going on year four mm-hmm. of Eberflus being the Colts defensive coordinator. But not only that, we're going on year four with Darius Leonard being the will linebacker, which is one of the most important positions in this defense. And Eberflus said the other day, you know, what are the most what are the three most important positions you got on your defense? He said it's the three tech, which is DeForest Buckner. It's the will linebacker, which is Darius Leonard. And it's the slot corner, which is Kenny Moore. Those are your three best players on defense and the three most important positions on this defense. And additionally, on top of that, you got a pretty good safety pairing with Kari Willis and Julian Blackman on the back end. Again, I mentioned Bobby Okariki. You've got a lot of other guys. But if this defense is solid with its spine and with the amount of nickel that it's going to be in, it, you know, yeah, you're right. It, they may not have a star outside of Buckner and Leonard. By the way, Kenny Moore should be a star. He's really, really good. Um, but if you, if you don't have the, you know, Khalil Max, Roquan Smiths, Eddie Jacksons of the world, you can get by with parts if you're well-coordinated, well-organized, and you still have talent. And that's what the Colts have. They have a lot of talent, and they are very well-organized, very well-coached, and very well-schemed. I, I like that you talked about how they identified what their most important positions were and filled them with quality players. They didn't leave one of those positions to change. They filled that first, and then everything else kind of went off of that as opposed to filling it wherever you could and trying to get guys that fit what you wanted to do. That's, a, that's something that I wish would catch on in other places, but we'll, I digress. Um, let's talk about Willis and Blackman. You did a feature about them, too, and, and about their, their growing bond on the field and off the field. Talk to me first about their on-the-field growth and then how the off-the-field has impacted that. Well, so, Josh, it's funny, actually, the, the reason for that story was I was thinking a little bit about that year two safety pairing um, where you got a guy who's maybe a little bit more of a veteran, kind of a young veteran, and then a a safety who's got really good ball skills entering his second year. And that veteran, by the way, is a guy who can play down in the box pretty well. And I'm like, huh, I covered that with Adrian Amos and Eddie Jackson in 2018. Were they in 2017? They kind of got to know each other a little bit. They got some of the cues down, the nonverbal things, just, you know, sort of, hey, I'm looking at you. I know what you're doing that type of stuff. 2018, they were awesome. I'm not saying Julian Blackman's going to go out and have the kind of season that Jackson had in 2018, because that was one of the best seasons safeties ever played in the NFL. But that is, there's something to that, right? Playing with a guy for a year, especially on the back end where communication is so key and trust is so key, it's just going to grow and build. And they already built that last year. Now it's taking off to another level that they feel like they're going to get to, you know, whether it's, you know, just those kind of little things that are going to help the Colts out in the back end. Um, and then on top of that, Julian Blackman is a guy, you know, again, sort of like Eddie Jackson, where he's coming off an injury, um, you know, felt he kind of tailed off a little bit toward the end of the 2020 season. That now is in the rearview mirror. He looks ready and primed to play a large number of snaps this year and play them at a high level from week one to week 18. And how is there, do you think that, I know you said in the article that their their growth off the field has helped them, you know, kind of play together on the field. Do you think it's kind of worked vice versa too, where they, you know, the success has kind of made them want to hang out together more because they're seeing results of that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're 
if you're enjoying work with your coworker, you want to hang out with them after work. You know, that's just, that's just kind of how it goes. And, uh, you know, for them too, you know, they, they're, they're two kind of different personalities. You know, Julian's a very outgoing uh, guy. He's got a great singing voice. Kari's maybe a little bit more reserved, but you know, they, sometimes those two kinds of people get along really well and uh, can bring out the best in each other. What about, I want to go back to something real quick. You talked about DeForest Buckner. Now, when they traded for him, moving a first-round pick for a defensive tackle in today's NFL just didn't seem like, you know, the move that to make when you're trying to make a push for the postseason and become a contender. But it worked out so well. What is it about Chris Ballard that's got him identifying talent? And, and like, like you said, getting the spine and all that kind of stuff for the team. How has he gotten so well at, at figuring that part out? Because it's definitely not a science. No, it's not. But the the thing that Ballard does really well is that when he takes his big swings, he does them, you know, it's not like there are a ton of them. You're not going out and spending a billion dollars in free agency. When he takes the swings, they he he knows he's getting a fastball right down the middle. And with DeForest Buckner, again, for all we just talked about, that Matt Eberflus defense, getting that presence, that all-pro presence at D-tackle in this defense was so important. You get a guy like DeForest Buckner becomes available because the 49ers don't have enough money to pay him, Eric Armstead, you know, Nick Bosa, all those guys along that line. So you go out and get a really premium player. Yes, the first round pick is a steep price, but you can see the transformative impact that DeForest Buckner had last year. And now going into year two can have an even bigger impact. And, you know, look, it's not a science. Chris Ballard will tell you that. That's why he likes taking a lot of swings in the draft. Because for as good of a, a scout as you can be, for as good of a talent evaluator as you can be, for as good of digging as you can do into these guys' personalities and what makes them tick, sometimes guys just flame out. Sometimes guys, when they get to the NFL, something pops up that you could not have expected, whether it's an injury, whether it's a personality thing, whether it's just them not picking things up fast. You can do all your due diligence and still not get a guy who's going to step in and perform well. But when you take a lot of swings, you wind up getting on back-to-back picks, Darius Leonard and Braden Smith. You wind up getting Grover Stewart in the fifth round and Kari Willis and Bobby Okariki in the third round. And, you know, a, a guy like Quiddy Pay and all of a sudden coming through in the first round, looking like he's going to have a really talented career here. That's the key. It's just accumulating those picks for Chris Ballard so you can take a lot of swings and find guys that you like and go get them and bring them in. Do you think that strategy plays better in a smaller market? Having been in, in both, do you think that you can go ahead and be kind of deliberate that way in a smaller place? Depends on how much leeway you get from ownership, really. Um, you know, Chris Ballard and, and Frank Reich signed extensions to 2026. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if it matters the market as much. Because this still is the NFL. The NFL is the NFL wherever the NFL is. And the the market size here in Indianapolis, yeah, it's a smaller market. I've, I've been in a big market in Chicago. But, you know, if, if George McCaskey – and look, it's not like Ryan Pace early on was out there taking a bunch of big swings. It was a kind of a methodical approach to this thing. Um, and even that first draft he had, he accumulated a number of picks and found guys like Adrian Amos and Nick Witkowski and Jordan Howard in that draft. So – I, I think I don't, I don't think the that aggressive angle necessarily matters where you are because also by the way if you take that aggressive angle in a big market and it doesn't work out it, you're going to hear about it more. That's true. That's definitely true. 
one guy that I have to ask you about, what is it going to take for me to get you to meet me halfway to drop off Nick Foles? I will <laughs> take Nick Foles and bring him down on halfway town to you, and you guys can go ahead and uh, have a nice backup for Carson there. And uh, yeah, <laughs> get me to get me to the KFC in Remington. That's the halfway point down I sixty five. It's just north of the windmills. Um, look, Carson Wentz. You know, it, it, he's been tracking to return early in the season for a little while now. Um, and Jacob Eason had a really good preseason. Sam Ellinger, he's got a knee injury. He also had a really good preseason. Yeah. The Colts look set at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, would that they, even they, work they, anyway with those two? I know that they said they don't have any ill will towards each other, but would that work? You know, Frank Reich respects Nick Foles a lot. Um, obviously, he won a Super Bowl with the guy. Um, you know, and Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I just know that the Colts quarterback situation is pretty solid, especially – you know, they didn't know what they had in Jacob Eason or Sam Ellinger before training camp. And turned out both guys played pretty well. The competition was was strong. Guys had, you know, you could see the trend lines for both were going up. And, you know, for Jacob Eason now being named the backup quarterback, he's a guy who hasn't played in an NFL game before, but looked all the part of being a, a backup quarterback and a guy you can win with if he needs to step in in the regular season. Get you out of here on this one. What are your expectations for the Colts this year? So competing with the Tennessee Titans uh, in the division in the AFC South is going to be kind of the number one goal here in Indianapolis. And and Frank Reich has kind of miffed a little bit that in his three years, yeah, he's made the playoff twice, but he hasn't uh, won the division, which means the Colts have not played a home playoff game since I believe it's 2014. It's been a little, it's been a minute here in Indianapolis since that's happened. So go out and win your division. That means taking care of the Titans, uh, play week three in Tennessee, and then later on in the season in Indianapolis, um, got to take care of that first, but I think what I, what I, my overall expectations for this team, just kind of talking to people and seeing this team is that this is going to be a really good defense and the offense has a lot of talent and it's going to go as far as Carson Wentz can take this team. He is JJ Stankovitz covering the Colts for Colts.com. JJ, thank you so much. Oh, follow him on Twitter at JJ Stankovitz. I almost forgot that. I can't get you out of here without that. You're good. You're good, man. Sorry, my, sorry, God, dark it. I honestly forgot how dark it gets uh, <laughs> you know it's only it's 8 35 here in the eastern time zone and i'm like man we're getting to that point where once it hits nighttime man it's nighttime <laughs> yeah right exactly and you know pretty pretty soon we're gonna have the world series with the white Sox starting at 7 p.m and you know pitch dark conditions at guaranteed rate field and they got a good team this year, man. Had, had I'm, to jealous. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, JJ. I appreciate it. Of course, you know we're going to have you back at uh, some point throughout the season. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, clockersports.com, and the email address, clockersports at gmail.com. And, of course, read the stuff. Last word on pro football, pimpinandeasy.com, and, the, of course, soaringdownsouth.com and clockersports.com. <gasps> Until the very next time. <laughs>